0: Over the last few weeks, we've been, um, we've been talking around a theme called There Goes the Neighborhood, and it's been amazing. And if you haven't been around for this, the gist is quite simple. Because we as human beings kind of have that attitude. I was actually with some friends this afternoon, just had a bite to eat there, and their neighbors, when you sit in our friend's house, you sit like this and you go, doof, 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 as the neighbor's music filters through to their house. And there's something in my heart, and, and, and he says, you know what, we have to live with this every weekend, from Friday night to Sunday night, just this beat, doof, doof, and in my heart, I'm like, no, man, hey? And there, where we, there goes the neighborhood, right? There goes the neighborhood. And actually, we've got a neighbor to our church, who comes to visit us every now and then, because our music sometimes goes doof, 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 and he struggles with it. So he marches in here, and he's uptight. Because our music is too loud. So with this theme, there goes the neighborhood. How about we turn it on its head? How about when he walks through that door and he's angry because our music's too loud? We stick out our hand and say, Actually, how's it? My name's Quentin. Because I just got a feeling he wants some mates. Actually, our music's fine. But he's looking for some mates. So how about we just stick out our hand and we say, Hey, how about we actually can we meet during the week for a coffee? Yeah? How about you turn on his head? How about the enemy starts to declare, flip, there goes the neighborhood. Why? Because we've moved in, and we're advancing the kingdom. So that's the gist of there goes the neighborhood. And I'm hoping just to kind of share a story with you tonight around that theme. Over the last um, few weeks, I think it's because it was the end of the school holidays, and if you're a parent here tonight, you'll understand that the school holidays can have a certain challenge to them when your kids are at home for six weeks. And I I just found over the last couple of weeks, my wife and I were getting a little frustrated, and there was a a phrase that I caught myself and my wife saying. And it arrested me. Because we kept saying, I'd say to my little princess, my six-year-old daughter, I am done. If you carry on this way, I am so done with your behavior right now, what does that mean to her, actually? In that moment I'm cross and I'm just and she you know what I have a right to be cross because she's just going overboard. But what does that mean to my little girl when her daddy says to her, I'm done? Yeah? What does that mean? What does, that mean? does that mean daddy's gonna take me now and put me on the sidewalk because he's done? Does it mean daddy's gonna leave because he's done? But yet these words just flow out of our mouth so easily. I'm done. And it got me thinking, actually. In my life, I may not have uttered those words that often, but I've said them in my heart. I've been in this very place, and I've looked at someone, and I've actually thought about it. i said, I'm done. Time and time again, that person has let me down, and I am done. And God's arrested me over this series, There Goes the Neighborhood. And He's actually said, you know what? When Jesus hung on that cross, and when He declared, It is finished... He declared it's finished so that we wouldn't be done because God's declaring he is not done. And if he is not done, how on earth can I be done? If he starts a work in someone, he is the one who will finish it, not me. I have no right to declare I am done. He has given me the strength. He's given me the grace and the power in him to keep going. Sometimes it is really hard. But I am not done. Can these people that you've just met right now, can you turn to each other and tell each other, I am not done? <laughs> so, six years ago, I met a guy, a more, seven years ago. Came into my life, befriended me. I was horribly unsaved. I was a real rubbish. I was arrogant. I was self-centered. He befriended me. And after sort of 10 or 12 months of, of being my friend, He approached the subject of church and God and Jesus. And you know what I did? Don, what did I do? I battered him, China. Said to him, dude, I've been there, I've done that. I could probably even speak in tongues for you. I know all about it. Leave me alone, I'm not interested. And in that moment, he had every right to look at me and go, buddy, I'm done. Because this has been a year now. You're not showing any signs of coming around. I'm done." And in that moment, he looked at me and he said, that's cool. He said, even if you never accept Jesus, I just want to be your mate. And in that moment, I broke. Those words, I just want to be your mate, took my heart and it crushed my heart. Because God knew in that moment, I had no friends, I'd driven everyone away, I was so stuck and so focused on my addiction that my life was just about me. And here came this guy and he said, it's cool, I just want to be your mate. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit broke through and began to soften my heart. And it wasn't too long after that, I gave in, I stopped running. All because a guy dared to say, it's cool, I just want to be your mate. I'm not done. And that's the gist of tonight. So, what I want to do is, I want to share a story with you. But before I get there, I was thinking about this kind of We often talk about our vision and our mission. So, what's our mission in life? We all want a vision. We always want something to strive for, something to work toward. We get those overachievers in life. They always, I mean, they probably got it. You know, Gabriel's got it on his wall. So, he's got it mapped out there. So, he's going to be achieving over the next few years. So, you guys, look at me. He focuses much more on with the glasses. But kind of God arrested me about my vision and my mission in life. That at its simplest, if my vision or my mission is not Christ-centered and people-focused, I've missed the boat. I need to go back to the drawing board and get a new vision. Because it's about Jesus at the center and it's about pursuing people. Because that's what he did for us that's what he did for me and that's what he's done for every single one of you here tonight so Christ centered and people focused and then lastly before I tell you this amazing story I've been kind of grappling with kind of pursuing people so I say Lord okay I'm not done I'm going to go after them because you've said I must I had this revelation that you know what I don't have to actually persuade anyone of anything I don't have to do any persuading. All I need to do is love, and Jesus will do the rest. In fact, there's a saying that says the following, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So he may agree with you in that moment, for sure I agree with you, but actually it's against his will, so no, he actually doesn't agree with you, and he just believes what he always believed. We don't need to persuade anyone of of anything. We just need to love them. We just need to be their mate. I'm going to tell you a story. And then I'm actually going to be done. Can you believe it? It's going to be short tonight. Um, so my wife and I had the privilege of uh, going to Pretoria in October last year. That amazing man is coming to preach next weekend, Roy Dyer. He invited us. He said, Please would you come? We we're doing the series. We'd love you and your wife to share your story. So we said, Wow, that'd be amazing. And um, I love the way God works because. The idea was that we were going to go and we were going to share our story and we were going to minister to people and that they'd be blessed. We'd hope they'd be blessed. But you know what happens? Yes, I think some of that happened. But God introduces people into your life as you go along to minister to them and they minister to you. Every trip, we always hear of guys going to Namibia and Zimbabwe and they, oh, we're on a mission. We're going to go minister to people. and They come back changed. Because in that going, God does something in their lives. So um, so we go to Pretoria, and um, and we get the opportunity to minister to this big church, and it was nerve wracking and it was cool at the same time. And after the morning service, uh, this lady, her hubby was preaching in Durban at the time. She says, Get in my car, I'm going to give you a lift. We're going for lunch. A couple of the other elders came along. And um, we're in the car, and we're just talking talking about stuff, we're talking about having to walk with people. And, and the main theme was having to walk with people who have addictions. And if you've ever walked with someone with an addiction, I know I had an addiction for 20 years of my life. It's a challenge. And often, people come into the life of the church, and we kind of go, Lord, I'm, just gonna, I'm hoping just to pray, I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to step back, and I'm going to let you do the rest. But actually, God's calling us to Walk. He's actually calling us to pray and then to walk with Him. Yeah. Yeah. To actually walk with Him. And that journey might be a long one. But in any case, so this lady, we start talking about that, and she says, I, I need to tell you something. And she proceeds to tell us the story. And I've got the permission to tell the story. Um, I spoke to this lady's hubby yesterday. His name's Adrian, and he's actually coming next week with, with Rory. Amazing guy. And um, this story centers around a guy called Leslie Richards. I'm going to show you a picture of Leslie later. Not now, Tyler, later. So she proceeds to tell us the story, and it blows my mind, and it kind of is with me the whole day. We then minister in the evening, and lo and behold, this guy comes up to me after the service. He knew nothing of my meeting Antoinette, he knew nothing of the fact that we knew who he was. And he says, How's it? My name's Leslie. And in that moment, I looked at this guy. And I realized that this is a guy who God plucked from the very gutter. A guy who was so close to death, but God sent men to rescue him. And it just broke me. I'm going to tell you about that story tonight. But I want to ask you the following. As I tell the story, I want you just to apply something to it. Some imagination. And I want you to put some yourself in the picture. Because every time I hear myself telling the story in my head, I put myself in the story. And it challenges me because there are many points in this story where if I look at myself, I'll, I'll probably not do what these guys did. So here goes. There's this guy, Leslie. Two years ago, him and his girlfriend decide they're going to go to 3CR, church in Pretoria. And they rock up. And it's uncomfortable. It's difficult. They don't really know anyone. And some of you here are new now, and it might have been a bit uncomfortable coming in tonight. But they arrive at this church. A couple of people say hi it, and they sit at the back and okay, it's a massive church and it can probably just disappear there but during the course of that meeting they meet a couple called Adrian and Antoinette and they get chatting and that was it and the next Sunday they come along again, they come again and, and, and Adrian spots him and he heads for him and it's like, hey buddy, good to see you again we saw you last week and they chat some more and then something amazing happens. Adrian extends an invitation. He says, you know what, eh? I would love to get to you, know you better. Why don't you come around to our house for dinner? And you know, there's this amazing preacher a while ago about dinner with the king. This phenomenal preacher. Hey, Tyler. Um, it was me, by the way. Um, but there is something in dinner. There's something in inviting someone into your home where you just extend kingdom hospitality see I believe that as believers our homes are filled with the living spirit of God and when we invite people into that something happens something has got to happen something has got to give so they invite these guys around and they begin to form this friendship and this bond and that grows and so a few weeks transpire but there's some detail I've left out See, Leslie came into the life of the church and came into this relationship with some challenges. He had a lot of challenges with relationship. He had massive challenges with identity. And he was a user. He he had a problem with drugs. And what happens a few weeks later is this girl decides that she's done with him, and she leaves. And what happens to Leslie at this moment is his world falls apart. His entire identity, his entire world was wrapped up in this girl was wrapped up in this relationship and this is now over. His life literally fell apart, it was over. And so he starts to turn to the things that he knows best and they happen to be drugs. And he knew he wouldn't be able to hide it for too long because he'd started to make connection with people who would start to notice that something was wrong. So what he says to Adrian and... And Antoinette, he says to the guys, listen, I need to go visit my mom. She lives in Durban, so I'm going to get a bus ticket. Please take me to the bus stop. I'll see you guys soon. So that's a perfectly legitimate request. He's a grown man was about 25 years old. Adrian takes him to the bus stop, but something is gnawing in his stomach. Something is not right with this situation. And, you know, so often we kind of, oh, I don't hear from God. Yeah, we kind of put that out there. I don't hear. God doesn't speak to me but in this situation here he is his stomach is in a knot God is speaking to him very very clearly but he lets him go and over the next couple of weeks he tries his best to speak to Leslie he sends him messages, he tries to phone him Leslie ignores everything and this was from a guy who was like a you know you get those guys that like WhatsApp you at 6 in the morning, just say morning hey I hope you're going to have a great day he's one of those guys but he, he doesn't respond to anything Adrian knows something's up, something's not right. About three weeks later, he gets hold of him. Wow. Leslie spins him a story, puts the phone down, and in that moment, Adrian reckons something's not right. He gets down on his knees. He says, Lord, you brought this guy into my life. I believe something is wrong. What do I do? And as he's praying about this guy, he feels in that moment, God tell him, go and fetch my boy. And he says, go and fetch my boy. Over and again, go and fetch my boy. He gets up, goes to the office, he goes to speak to a couple of guys at church. He says, listen guys, this is the situation. Spoken to Leslie, something's wrong and I believe God's telling us to go fetch him. And in that moment, you know what they say to him? let's go we trust you mate god's spoken to you this is the situation we're going and i thought about that very situation there i thought about gabe coming to me and giving me that very scenario i'd go i see dude i don't know eh? let's maybe try phone him again let's see if we can talk to him let's kind of suss it out but in that situation in that moment i say dude we trust you and if you believe that god has told you this we are going to go so, you said he's in Durban. He reckons, yes, he's in Durban. Cool, have you got the address? He looks at him and he goes, no. Let I me mean, no. He says, no, I actually don't know. I know he went to Durban, but I don't actually know where he is. Cool. In that very situation there, that moment there, I would have said to him, buddy, you left, you tried, you phoned, he wouldn't take your calls, he's lied to you, and you don't actually know where he is. I think we've got to park it. Everything is telling us to actually leave it alone. So you know what they say to him? They say, hey, it's cool. God will show us. <laughs> they get in the car that night, and they drive to Durban. And on the way, they've got their phones, they've got, they got um, tablets and all the rest of it, and they, they're on Facebook, they're busy phoning people, and God starts to help them put this puzzle together of where this guy could possibly be. By the time they're hitting Durban, the sun is rising, they got an inclination that actually is not in Durban, he's a bit further south, he's along the south coast. Cool. So they drive past Durban to the south coast, and they're busy praying, and they're like, Lord, we need help. And one of the guys just kind of got a picture of a caravan park. So they literally drive past this first sort of little town on the south coast, they see Caravan Park, and they pull in. Let's try this one. <laughs> They get out of the car, and lo and behold, they walk into Leslie's family. And Leslie's family, in this very moment, try to do everything in their power to stop these guys from seeing him. Everything. They actually got quite aggressive. But you know what? When God sends you on a mission, and you know you're sent, and God has sent to you, said to you, go fetch my boy, you can't back down. You lovingly stand your ground. And apparently they stood there and said, listen, we've come to get our boy. You need to back away. And this, this, this went on for a little while and eventually they, they kind of sat down and these guys went in to go look for him. And at a distance, they saw a guy sitting in one of those little low-slung garden chairs. They recognized it was Leslie, but he looked poor. He'd been binging on hardcore drugs for three weeks he'd literally been in the sun for three weeks he looked terrible but there he was so they headed for him and in that moment he looked up and he saw these three men he apparently fell to his knees and just started shouting out I will do anything you want whatever you want, just tell me, I will do it and as Adrian's busy telling me the story, I just got this picture I closed my eyes and I saw these three men striding towards him and in the natural, God had sent three men to go and fetch his boy. But in the spiritual realm, I just got the sense, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit striding in to fetch their boy. And he's breaking down, and all he's doing is shouting out, I'll do whatever you want, I will do whatever you want, It just, just help me. They arrive there, they fall on this guy, they embrace him, and they're all crying. And in that moment, he says to them, Who sent you guys how did you know and they said to him how do we know what better he had planned that day he was going out to end his life he had decided he was going to go buy his last bunch of drugs and he was going to OD he decided to end it that very day the very day that God said to these men go fetch my boy he had decided to kill himself and they just embraced him and they cried a whole lot and in that moment, God's love just enveloped this entire situation. So they actually, they stayed there the night, they got him in the car, and they took him home the next day. And they arrived back in Pretoria, and reality kicks in, because the reality is, buddy, we love you, but you've got a problem, and you need help. So Adrian takes him. And they go off to the rehab. And he's busy signing him in. And in that moment, this woman looks at Adrian and she says, Are you the sponsor? And as he hears these words, he looks down at the page and he suddenly realizes these letters start jumping out of the page. Seven grand a month. As the sponsor, he'd be responsible for 7,000 rand a month to pay for this guy to go to rehab. And as he hears these words, are you the sponsor, and he looks at Leslie, he doesn't hear anymore, are you the sponsor, he just hears God saying, are you your brother's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper? And in that moment, he says yes, and he signs. And I thought, and I looked at that situation, and, I went, and, and, and he could not afford seven grand a month, he couldn't even afford one grand a month. And in that situation, I think to myself, imagine, imagine he had every right to say, actually, hey, but I'm sorry, seven grand a month. I don't have seven grand a month there. We'll we'll make a plan. But in that moment, God arrests his heart and asks him, are you your brother's keeper? And he says, yes. In that moment, God asks him, do you trust me enough that i started something and I will finish it? you had faith in me to go find this kid somewhere in KwaZulu-Natal do you have faith that I'm going to finish this thing in that moment he says yes and he signs that guy Leslie was in rehab for 18 months 18 months at 7 grand a month Adrian told me yesterday it was never an issue money just arrived there were some folks that would put up their hands and say I'll help there was times when money just came and he didn't even know where it came from. But God provided to make sure that the work that he started would be finished. Tyler, can I ask you to put up a picture of the four guys? <laughs> I love that picture. So that guy on the left, that's Adrian. The guy at the back, that's Leslie. The other two there... Adrian's partners in crime. and you know why I love this picture so much? This picture was taken about a week after they found him. And I look at him sitting at the back there, and he just looks cool. He looks like he is accepted. He looks like he belongs. He doesn't look like he's someone who's covered in shame, doesn't look like someone who's just just overcome with guilt, because three men stood up and they declared they're not done Lord you are not done so we're not done can you show me the other picture and there's Leslie he met this amazing girl she's from America she loves Jesus passionately they got married in November they're expecting a baby just so still a way to go And, um, and this is God this is our father at work saying actually, you're here you're not done this community here we need to spoil the enemy's party there goes the neighbourhood he's calling each one of us because they're these guys they're coming into the life of our church they're walking through the door every single Sunday, you don't even have to go out and find them, they're just coming in streams and streams of them putting up their hands saying I need someone to walk with me And what are we doing? Are we putting up our hands saying, that's me. We're not done. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do tonight. You've You've met some new people here tonight. I'm going to ask us in this moment, we're going to spend five minutes. We're going to spend five minutes finding out who we are, where you're from. Maybe in this moment, God lays something on your heart for them. Maybe in this moment you say, hey, let's meet for coffee next week. Maybe in this moment you invite someone to your house for dinner. Maybe in this moment you just kind of share a moment and pray. But it's really as simple as this. But in this moment we declare to each other we're not done. Because he's not done. So can I ask that we take a few minutes and do that? I'm done talking. Thanks for listening to me.